You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. It's hard to know how much longer Robert Mueller's investigation into Russian meddling into American elections is going to continue, but there have been some signs that he's nearing a conclusion and that the president of the United States could be implicated in whatever Mueller comes up with. Regardless of Mueller's findings, there is a lingering question that has gone largely unanswered. If a sitting president is found to be responsible for criminal behavior, can he be indicted? What if the crime suggests a sitting president ill-begot the presidency through illegal activity? Could he be indicted then? Or is the power of the executive so supreme that a sitting president can't be indicted, but still, of course, could be impeached in Congress. We want to pick apart this question with a couple of legal experts. And of course, we want to hear from you. What do you think would happen if President Trump were charged with criminal activity? Would he stand trial? Can you imagine what a criminal court case would look like with a president at the center? And what would that do to our country? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to work you into the conversation. Uh, We really want to get a really great sampling of opinions about what should happen if Robert Mueller decides that Donald Trump broke the law as part of the conspiracy that uh, we all know has unfolded with the Russians meddling in the 2016 presidential election. And joining us now to talk about uh, this subject is Barbara McQuaid. She is the former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan, now teaches at the University of Michigan. Barbara, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. So when you look at what we've seen come out of the Mueller investigation in recent weeks, uh, what direction do you see this headed in? Do you think he is headed toward a conclusion that the president was involved knowingly in the things that we all now know took place in 2016? Well, it sounds like that's what he's looking at. I don't know what he has found or will find. I think we uh, are often reminded that Robert Mueller's team know a whole lot more about the facts than we do when... Uh, new names appear that we hadn't seen before. So no doubt he knows more than we do. But um, in recent days, we've learned a little more, though, about a pre-meeting that it sounds like occurred uh-huh. even before the meeting at uh, Trump Tower with Russians. And if that's the case, uh, then you have a much stronger case of conspiracy, including uh, the people who were present, like Paul Manafort and Jared Kushner and Donald Trump Jr. And then the question remains whether President Trump himself was involved or knew about it. A conspiracy is um, fairly simple to prove. You have to prove first that there was an agreement to commit a crime and that all of the parties agreed that at least one person would commit at least one overt act, some act in furtherance of that illegal agreement. And so you could imagine that uh, there was an agreement here that Russia says they've got stolen emails. They want your input on how to distribute them. Um, and then the distribution comes a little later. That could be enough uh, to find a conspiracy to commit uh, uh, the offense of violating the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act or conspiracy to defraud the United States by interfering with the election. So the facts will matter, and I'm sure Robert Mueller is trying to figure them out. Yeah. Uh, We've also learned a lot about uh, Michael Cohen and his 
cooperation with this investigation in in recent weeks. How important is that? I mean, on on the surface, at least, it seems to me that you're in a lot of trouble once your lawyer starts talking with uh, with with prosecutors about about you. Yeah, Michael Cohen potentially knows a lot of information. He was President Trump's lawyer for 17 years, and although. Some of the communications are going to be protected by the attorney-client privilege. There's an exception called the crime fraud exception. Right. So if you're discussing a crime, um, in, in those instances, the privilege has to yield because people aren't permitted as a matter of public policy to use the privilege as sort of a shield when they're engaging in illegal activity. Uh, but Michael Cohen has been sort of an interesting character. He's kind of shooting his mouth off. If I were the prosecutor in the case, I would be a little frustrated that he's talking so much because I think potentially diminishes his value as a cooperator. The more he talks to the media, the more he is seen as someone who's out to get President Trump or willing to throw President Trump under the bus to save his own skin. Um, you know, what you want is a, a witness who um, can appear to be truthful or mm-hmm. um, if if there's concerns about his credibility, as I'm sure there are in, in this case, um, you have to find ways to corroborate his testimony by finding other witnesses who can say the same thing or documents, records, emails, text messages that can confirm what he had to say. So I'm sure at some point they'll sit down and try to gather that corroborating information. Um, But my guess is that the Southern District of New York U.S. Attorney's Office there has not yet sat down with Michael Cohen Mm -hmm. because they still don't have all of the evidence that was obtained in the search of his office because that's still being reviewed by the special master appointed there to review the material for attorney-client privilege. And until they see all of that material, I don't think they're going to be ready to sit down and talk with him because they want to understand the full scope of any criminal conduct committed by Michael Cohen before they do that. Yeah. Uh, This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Barbara McQuaid, former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan, now teaching at the University of Michigan. We're talking about the news lately with the Robert Mueller investigation in Washington and where that investigation may be headed if Mueller finds that Donald Trump engaged in criminal activity during the 2016 presidential election, can he indict the president or does he have to defer to Congress or wait until Donald Trump is no longer the president? That's a question that has begun swirling as Mueller seems to be coming closer and closer to concluding his investigation. Uh, we want to hear from you. What do you think would happen if President Trump were charged with criminal activity? Would he stand trial? Should he? Uh, and can you imagine what that would look like, a criminal case with the president? Uh, at the center of it. What would that do to our country? Uh, as always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Barb, before we get to the phones, uh, I want to have you address this question of what what can happen to Donald Trump? Do you believe that uh, Robert Mueller has the ability to indict uh, a sitting president, or does he have to re- defer to the impeachment process in Congress? This is such an interesting legal question because it's never been resolved by the courts. Right. And so if they, he were to be charged, it's quite possible that that is lawful. The Constitution's a little unclear on this. It does talk about impeachment as a remedy, but it doesn't really say specifically whether a sitting president can be charged with a crime The only authority we have on it is an opinion by the Justice Department from the Watergate era. The Office of Legal Counsel at that time issued an opinion saying that a sitting president could not be indicted. And that's because he has such important duties as the chief executive 
that it would be such a substantial distraction to try to defend himself, that it would be bad for the country. But since that time, the Supreme Court has held that a president, a sitting president, can be sued civilly and has to sit for depositions in civil cases, which is also distracting. And so um, if this were to be tested in the court, it's not clear how it would come out. We have a new Supreme Court nominee in Brett Kavanaugh, who has argued in favor of strong executive power, including being immune from uh, indictment and lawsuit while being a sitting president. So the stakes are very high there. But um, to answer your question directly, I think Robert Mueller, um, as a rules follower, will follow the rules of the Justice Department. He has been told that he has all of the powers and must follow all of the rules of any U.S. attorney. And mm-hmm. so I think he will follow that Office of Legal Counsel opinion that says a sitting president cannot be indicted and would instead submit some sort of report to Congress for impeachment or maybe name President Trump as an unindicted co-conspirator if he were to charge others. So that's my speculation, is that mm. he would follow suit and also just avoid the risk of uh, some lengthy litigation over whether a president can be uh, criminally charged when you've got impeachment as a potential remedy. Of course, that's only as good as the members of Congress who are there to enforce it. Right, right. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Jennifer in Birmingham. Jennifer, welcome to Detroit Today. There, thank Hi. you. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I'm, uh, I'm curious about this brings to mind watching uh, what Bill Clinton went through many years ago, mm-hmm. which um, really didn't seem to end up going anywhere. I'm sure it cost a fortune. Um, how does this compare to that? Those hearings went on and on, and they never seemed to, you know, have any real consequence. Right. Uh, Jennifer, great question. Uh, uh, Barb McQuaid, uh, Bill Clinton was, uh, you know, the, the Congress dealt with uh, with him as opposed to to Ken Starr. Is that the way that's supposed to, to work? Well, I think there are a lot of parallels between what happened with Bill Clinton and what's going on right now, although I think the underlying conduct is very different. Uh, what, what Bill Clinton, of course, was charged with was obstruction of justice relating to his lies about Monica Lewinsky, and I think many people thought that that was an inappropriate uh, grounds for exploring whether a president was fit to serve uh, as president. And it comes down to, you know, again, a political issue of whether members of Congress are going to decide to impeach. They did, and then convict in the Senate. They did not. Um, in in this case, I submit that the crime is um, a much more serious crime as it relates to the president's ability to serve the country when it is interfering with the election, which goes to the very core of our democracy. And so, one would hope that it's more like uh, the Nixon situation, where members of President Nixon's own party at some point to his country over party and let him know that if it were, he, he would be impeached unless he were to resign. Yeah. And it was members of his own party who approached him and told him that. So um, I think it's probably more parallel to that than it is to Clinton. But unfortunately, we have uh, lots of examples in our recent past to look at. Um, you know, the framers of the Constitution envisioned a Congress that would serve as an effective check on the president. Right. And that only works if people in Congress take their duty seriously as opposed to uh, being blindly loyal to their party. Yeah, uh, Jennifer, thanks very much for the call and the question. Let's go to Anthony in Belleville. Anthony, welcome to Detroit today. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Well, we all know this wouldn't be the first time a president got the office illegally. Nixon sabotaged the peace talks with Lyndon Johnson and Ho Chi Minh. And then we have to remind Rudy Giuliani that as a prosecutor, he used other mobsters to bring down the New York mafia. So he can't question anybody's credibility as a witness when you use questionable witnesses to bring down a crime family. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, Anthony, thanks very much uh, for the call and those those references. You know, Barb, I wonder if you can talk a little about uh, whether the nature of the inquiry here changes the the answer to the question about whether the president can be indicted while he's president. I mean, what what Bob Mueller is looking into is essentially whether Donald Trump broke the law in the process of trying to become the president. Uh, and so does that then abrogate that kind of immunity that he might have as president if the, the question is whether he, uh, you know, ill-begot the presidency itself? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question because that isn't sort of misconduct in office or misconduct in um, your personal life. Right. Uh, it, it is uh, the the very means by which you got the office. Now, the, that Office of Legal Counsel opinion doesn't make that distinction because the basis of it is it would be too difficult for the president to fulfill his duties as president if he had to worry about defending himself from criminal charges. So I think that that line of reasoning would stand regardless of the reason. But I think that you raise a very good point, which is that the very presidency could be illegitimate and therefore um, the public entitled to sort of unwind it as a remedy. Um, But perhaps, again, impeachment is the remedy there. Um, It would be interesting to see Robert Mueller test it, but I think it could bring with it uh, a lengthy court battle that he might rather avoid. Yeah. Uh, on Twitter, Dr. Lyon says, wrong question. What does it say about our country if the president can get away with anything? Uh, it's an interesting way to come at that uh, issue there. Uh, let's let's go to Tom. Tom in Northwest Detroit. Welcome to Detroit Today. Yeah, good morning, Steve. Mm-hmm. My voice was used as a promo to open up a friend of yours show, uh, and it went like this. <laughs> no, the laws, the law, the same laws that apply to me should apply to them as well. And I mean, nobody, I don't care who it is in this country, nobody should be above the law. Blagojevich, he went to prison, okay? We had a mayor in this city, um, I think more than one, who went to prison, you know, for doing, being involved in some illegal stuff. But, you know, I just think it's absolutely ridiculous that, you know, you have these, you know, laws on books and what have you. But if I go out there and I would do the same thing as uh, number 45 is doing, they would take me and hang me from the highest tree, okay? But because number 45 is sitting where he's sitting, you know, it's kind of like they're going to give him a pass. I mean, you got a vice president who, for whatever reason, if something happens to number 45, that he would, you know, assume assume the seat, sure. I believe, unless yeah. he, uh, no, it's, if, but anyway, yeah. he, he, would, he would assume the... No, the I, hear what you, I hear what you're saying, Tom, and I think uh, that's the question that a lot of people are asking. Um, and, and Barb, I've got about a minute left. Uh, talk about that idea of, uh, you know, equal, you know, standing equally before justice and, and everyone being treated the same. This does seem to fly a little in the face of that because the presidency is is such an anomaly, I guess, in the republic. Well, I would agree that as a matter of policy that no one should be above the law, including the, the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. The Supreme Court may ultimately decide as a matter of what they interpret the Constitution to say about that. But in terms of what it should be and what the policy should be, I absolutely agree. I remember Judge Edmonds making those statements when she sentenced Kwame Kilpatrick that yes. you can't have a leader be above the law because then it undermines respect for the law for everybody. What does that say about everybody has to follow the law except you? Um, really undermines 
uh, everyone's respect for the law. No one feels like, well, why should I follow the law if the leader doesn't follow it? So I agree that um, the president and everyone should be held to the same standards of following the same law. Okay, Barbara McQuaid, former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan, now teaching at the University of Michigan. As always, thanks for joining us on Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Up next, we're going to talk to a scholar from Michigan State who's been asking the same question, whether a sitting president can be indicted for more than 20 years. Stay with us on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about whether a sitting president can be indicted. My next guest has been asking himself this question from a scholarly perspective for more than 20 years. Brian Kalt is a constitutional law expert at Michigan State University and author of a book titled Constitutional Cliffhangers, a legal guide for presidents and their enemies. Brian, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Yeah. So, so in a way, at least, you have been asking the scholarly question of whether a sitting president can be indicted for uh, more than about 20 years, right? Uh, it's 1997 that you write uh, a, a law review article, right, that, that, that's, that asks this question. Um, tell me what first attracted you to this question. Well, I had uh, done some work with my professor and mentor, Akhil Amar, uh-huh. and uh, I had written on the issue of whether the president could pardon himself. And um, I had written that paper for Professor Amar and then later published it in the Yale Law Journal. Um, and he was solicited to write an article, part of a symposium, on the question of whether a sitting president could be prosecuted. And he asked me to co-write it with him. And I did. Uh-huh. And, uh, we, we argued that the president has immunity while in office from criminal prosecution. There were some other articles in that same issue that said that he doesn't or that as a practical matter he does, but as a legal matter he doesn't. And uh, so I sort of stuck with it since then. And as you mentioned, uh, it was also a chapter in my 2012 book, right. Constitutional Cliffhangers. Right. Um, so if you believe that a sitting president can't be indicted, uh, what's the implication of that then for presidential behavior? And in a minute, we'll get to the sort of instant case of Donald Trump and the things that he's done. But but in more general terms, um, does that does that mean that the the president can do anything and not face uh, criminal prosecution while in office? No. Um, the, the implication of the argument is sort of separate from the practical question of how the president would uh, be able to act while in office. First of all, there's no way of knowing exactly what a court would do. Uh, so we're, we're saying we think that this is the best legal argument, but it's an unsettled question. And so the president would be taking a risk. Um, we, we don't know. The courts could rule that he can be prosecuted while in office. Um, so, so, so there's that. There's that uncertainty. The second point, and this is often lost in this discussion, is that the question is whether he can be prosecuted while in office. 
Uh, there's really no doubt that the president, if he commits a crime before or during his presidency, could be prosecuted after he's president. Sure. The only question is what happens while he's in office. So it's not it's not about impunity. It's really just about timing. Right. Um, so so let's talk then about Donald Trump, uh, who is under investigation for things that were done in the run up to his election uh, as as president. And one of the things that I think uh, is is peculiar about this case is that what Robert Mueller is looking into <clears throat> in some ways is whether Donald Trump broke the law in the process of trying to become the president. In other words, whether he tainted uh, the, the the election or the campaign that led up to him assuming the Oval Office. And I, I, I've for a, for a little bit now, been sort of scratching my head, wondering: Does that change the dynamic there? Does that alter the question of whether a sitting president can be indicted? If indeed that president uh, assumed the presidency or won the presidency uh, by breaking the law, doesn't it then make sense that you you sort of reexamine the question of whether he can be prosecuted as a sitting president? As a legal matter, I don't think that that changes things because the arguments for the president having this temporary immunity are really rooted in the presidency and the structure of the presidency and the structure of the federal government. And it doesn't really turn on the facts of the particular case. Now, as a practical matter, that would make a huge difference. Um, I think another important point to, to raise is that this argument for temporary immunity is very closely linked with impeachment and the impeachment process and the structural notion that if you want to uh, sort of disrupt a presidency, that the, the Constitution gives us a way to do that, and that's impeachment. Right. And normally people would say, well, impeachment is for things that you do while you're president, and so you couldn't really impeach someone for something he did before he was president. Right. Uh, but if it was something that was inextricably linked with the person becoming president, I think that that sort of finesses that, uh, and it makes impeachment more uh, appropriate, even though it was pre-presidential conduct. And as a result, it would make the immunity argument uh, sort of stronger, because normally we might say, well, if it's for something that he did before he was president, mm -hmm. uh, impeachment's not on the table. If impeachment's not on the table, then, um, then immunity makes less sense. But I think here impeachment would be on the table. So, so in other words, the, the, the constitutional dynamic that gets altered by the facts here would be the impeachment process and not the question of presidential immunity. Right, except that the effect that it has on impeachability in turn affects the immunity argument because right. impeachment's on the table, immunity is a more powerful argument. Right, right. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. Uh, I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Brian Kalt, constitutional law expert at Michigan State University and author of Constitutional Cliffhangers, a legal guide for presidents and their enemies. Um, Brian, I want to read a quote uh, back to you and, and get you to, to, to sort of expand on it here. You said, if this case comes up to the Supreme Court, we're not deciding what we think of Trump or what we think about immunity. We're deciding what we think 
the Constitution requires. I, I think that's a really interesting way to come at this right now, and it's a very difficult ask, I think, of of people to not think of this person or president, but to think of the infrastructure, the constitutional infrastructure that we have in this country and and what we believe it requires. Uh, can, can you talk a little more about why you think that's so? Well, I, I think, first of all, you're right. It is a tough ask, and this is uh, one of the problems that I have in talking about these things is people aren't usually interested in the constitutional arguments. They just want to know who wins, or right. they, they have a strong opinion about who wins, and they have a strong opinion about the facts. And uh, I think the most uh, compelling argument I can give for why I think that's not um, the only thing we should be thinking about here is that that's not what the judges deciding this are going to do. Judges deal with this every day. Every case that judges have, it's not just about plaintiff versus defendant, especially appellate courts. They need to think about what rule are we setting down for future cases, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and what effect will this have on a different set of facts, but the same constitutional principles. And so uh, that's why I wrote my book when I did. I wrote it in 2012 when all of the things, all of the hypotheticals that I looked at, can a president be prosecuted, can a president pardon himself, that 25th Amendment stuff, they were all hypothetical. Mm -hmm. Because you need to think about these things when you don't know the facts. Then when you do know the facts, when you do know who, uh, who's on, on the good guy's side and who's on the bad guy's side, in your opinion, um, you've, you've already sort of thought through these things in a neutral way. And so what I think people need to do is to ask themselves, what rule do you think should apply here to Trump? And then also ask yourself, what rule do you think would apply to not Mueller going after Trump, but Ken Starr going after Clinton? That's right. Or some state um, district attorney in some county court going after a president uh, in, a, in a highly sort of questionable way or, or a politicized way. If you're saying that one prosecutor has the power to do this to the president, um, then uh, and, and that person is Robert Mueller, mm-hmm. you're also saying that, uh, I don't know, the prosecutorial version of Joe Arpaio has that power too, right? Um, and that's that's the way judges are going to think about it, and that's the way we need to think about it. Not just what happens to Trump, but what happens in the next case. Yeah. Uh, do you feel like we have gotten to a point uh, in American politics, and now not talking about the law, where this idea of litigating? The presidency, litigating the circumstances of a presidency, is just something that that the opposition, whatever it is, uh, is 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 over reliant on. I mean, are, are, have we reached a, a point where uh, the special counsel law, for instance, is is not properly being managed, and that no matter who wins uh, or for what reason, we're going to see this kind of prosecutorial approach to political opposition. I, th- I think that is our reality now, and uh, I think it's unfortunate, but I do think also that the courts are aware of this, and one of the questions that the courts always ask themselves in these cases is not, again, not just who should win, although that 
yeah, it certainly plays into it, and, mm-hmm. and, and I wrestle with that in the book. And in every chapter, it's an issue. But the courts always have to be asking themselves, what is our proper role as judges, as the right. judicial branch, versus the political branches, the political process? Because ultimately, this is going to come down to what the people think. Impeachment, Congress, that's a political process. Elections determine these things, political process. If the voters decide not to reelect Donald Trump, then the immunity question is a two-year question instead of a six-year question. Right, right. Um, and, and so those, those things matter uh, at the end of the day more than anything that the courts do. And the courts want it that way. The courts don't want to be the final arbiters of these things that the political process is supposed to decide. That said, a crime is a crime, right? Like that's supposed to be in court. And so, again, it's important to remember that this is not about whether someone is above the law or not. It's about the, the, the timing issue. Yeah. Do we do it while he's president? Um, uh, so quickly before I let you go, talk to me about Bob Mueller and his investigation and uh, how likely you might think it is that he will conclude that he has to indict uh, Donald Trump, if he if he if he finds sufficient uh, sufficient reason to do so, uh, uh, Bob Mueller is a pretty conservative guy, uh, but also a pretty aggressive prosecutor. In your judgment, how does this weighing exercise that he's no doubt going through right now as well? How does that end up uh, in in front of the public? Well, I think. Uh, one thing that's important to consider is that the Justice Department has considered uh, this very question mm-hmm. before, 1973, with regard to President Nixon. Mm-hmm. They looked at this issue and decided that they cannot indict him while he's in office. 2000, looking at Bill Clinton, same thing. Um, so those special prosecutors going after those presidents didn't think um, – First of all, they had reason to think they didn't have the authority, but even to the extent that they might have argued that they had the authority, as a practical matter, they didn't think that it would be uh, strategically a good idea to prosecute someone while he's president. So I think Mueller first has to consider, is he bound by those Justice Department precedents? If he thinks that he's not, then he has to figure out, is it a good idea? If, If you put a president on trial... Um, it, it, it would be uh, uh, weighing yourself down with all sorts of uh, practical and strategic problems that just waiting until he's out of office would uh, allow you to avoid. So I, I think that Mueller would maybe put the evidence out there, uh, maybe uh, let Congress go ahead with impeachment if the evidence is really damning. Um, maybe if there's a statute of limitations potential problem there where if he doesn't get things on the record, then he'll have a problem. Maybe then move things forward just to just to lock things in and have a court say, okay, you can do this. Statute of limitations isn't going to run out, but we have to wait until he's after president, uh, after he's president to, to move much beyond this stage. Um, so I, I just, I don't see Mueller, um, I don't see him pushing this issue for the same reasons that the prosecutors going after Nixon and, and Clinton didn't. Um, why, why, why set yourself up for these constitutional uh, problems mm-hmm. if you can just wait a couple of years and, and avoid all of those and avoid all the practical problems of putting a, 
of a sitting president on trial. Okay, Brian Kalt, constitutional law expert at Michigan State University and author of Constitutional Cliffhangers, a legal guide for presidents and their enemies. Thanks very much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. That's going to do it for us today. I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. If you missed any of today's show, you can hear it and all other past editions of Detroit Today on the Detroit Today podcast. Download and subscribe on iTunes or wherever podcasts are available. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.